evidence of Paige Trees. This is Judge Dredd. In case people have forgotten, this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Hey there, enthusiasts. Welcome back to Hero Talk. I am your host, Judge Greg. And joining me today, fresh off his stint on Point Streak, I have Nick returning back. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Excellent. Today's movie is Dread. And as always, Hero Talk is a spoiler podcast. Basically, folks, if it's out, it's fair game. You've been warned. So this, this is a movie I've been dying to do since I started doing Hero Talks because this guy is basically my namesake. I've uh, I've I've named myself after him, and I was actually I was a fan of the Stallone Judge Dread. Well, I understand full well that that Stallone Judge Dread doesn't share a whole lot with the comics, other than the name and the helmet. But uh, I I came into this thinking that Carl Urban was going to really try to like bring the comic book guy to life as best you could, and I think he nailed it. Yeah, I, I, I would have to defer to your expertise on this. I'm not too well versed with the comics, but Carl Urban is the guy I've called him a chameleon because I mean he was great in this performance he was great in Lord of the Rings and he pretty much stole the movie in Star Trek he he did he it's like he channeled uh with DeForest Kelly yeah yeah it was he's he's good at what he does and uh, intro to this movie he was saying that um I believe he went right out and said like I am not going to be taking the helmet off in this movie which is really good. Yeah, which which is, you know, because Judge Dredd does not take his helmet off. You don't see him without his helmet. So that was just, that's when you knew that they were taking it seriously and that he was actually going to try to to do it. And uh, so instead of getting this, like, over-the-top zany comedy with Rob Schneider running around, you, you get uh, what was kind of gritty, and I, I like this movie. There's no way around that. I thought this movie was done very well. Yeah, I, I would propose that instead of gritty, the word grimy would apply to this movie. Yeah, it was. I mean, it definitely like there's some movies where they're like it's the post-apocalyptic future, but everything is still kind of clean looking. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, this place clean. is just wrecked. Yeah, I mean, you obviously just, used, yeah. obviously dirty, filthy. What is the megastructure yes. that they were in? Uh, it, it was a place that looks like it's been lived in and used by a lot of people over a long time. Yeah, it's it's just something you don't usually get with these movies, and it's it's that I mean I mean I've, I'm not going to apologize. I like the movie, and it's not just because that it's a Judge Dredd movie, but I just I like the movie that was done, and it really it set the tone. And I think it started right from that first scene on. Is that from that tone, like this is the city we're living in, like this bad thing's happening, lots of people are getting killed. This is what crime is like in this city. There's nothing you can really do about it. And other than the fact, the only part that bothers me about the first scene, and we pointed it out when we saw it, is that uh, it took Judge Red two tries to get his lawgiver to switch to hot shot. Oh, yeah. And, Almost forgot about that bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, come on, Judge. Get that thing calibrated. Yeah, I, I think they were just trying to, uh, in, in the editing or the, the, the layout of that scene, they were trying to make that a little bit jokey. But when he had to repeat hot shot, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, like, Judge Dredd would have never let his peace giver get so far out of calibration that he'd have to say <laughs> hot shot twice. That's that's shenanigans. <laughs> One one thing one thing I will have to also give the Stallone version, and I suppose Stallone uh, on 
on his own as Judge Dredd, and it really isn't anything to do with his performance, but he has the jawline for it. Uh, he he it, certainly does. If yeah. there's one thing Carl Urban didn't have that Stallone does, it's the jawline. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i said it. I, I also like the Stallone version. Like, I know it's not as grimy and gritty, and it's kind of more, like, light and fun, but I do like it. And uh, there's the, the, the pivotal scene, a line I have stolen and taken as my own, is I am the law. And in my head, I imagine whenever I say it or type it out on the screen or it's in my on my profile on Enthusiast forums, I'm always imagining the Stallone, I am the law. I was very glad that Carl Urban said it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and another one of the aspects of it is I, I loved actually how understated uh, Carl Urban's was because it's it was very very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just Mama is not the law. I am the law, and it it really felt a lot more like um, he is the representative of the law. The law is being channeled through him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he is just like its messenger, its spirit of vengeance, if you want to give it some more fluffy language. But when you know, uh, when Stallone was saying, you know, die on the law, it, it, it always felt self-aggrandizing. Right, like, which I, is exactly I, I how like, I law. I am see. the law. It's like, it's, what the heck? It sounds like, the delivery sounded like, well, it's not, it, it's in, it's contradictory for him to have broken the law because he is the law. How can he have broken himself? It's like, you know, uh, uh, kind of like Nixon. If the president does it, it's not illegal. It, it just sounded very aggrandizing and didn't really seem to fit, at least the character. The movie, on the other hand, whatever, but the proper character of Judge Dredd, it doesn't fit. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I like it both ways. I, I just, I really liked how he did that. I thought, I loved how he played Dredd. I mean, he was... And I really like the format. It almost, and I, I referenced this movie too many times in Hero Talks, and I apologize, but it was like Training Day, except Denzel Washington wasn't corrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was it was very, because like, he has he has uh, Judge Anderson uh, played by, I'm going to screw up your name, and I apologize, Olivia Thurlby, Miss Thurlby, who I'm assuming is listening. <laughs> I, I don't think she's missed uh, Hero Talk yet. I'm sorry I jacked that up. Um, I, I thought she did really good as kind of like being the deer in the headlights, like, Oh no! It was either this or go to wherever they send the mutants to, and uh, it it really gave him something to play off of. And just about any time they're interacting with each other it was just entertainment nonstop. There was no point where I I thought it was getting over the board, and I I loved how it worked. I absolutely loved how it worked, and it was it was good to give, you know, with movies like this where you know Judge Dredd is basically he's going to have to start the movie as the hardcore super cop. And you know he's going to end the movie as the hardcore super cap. You're not you're not giving the origin of Judge Dredd, so you need somebody to sort of be your point of view character for for him to to grow around. And uh, Judge Anderson fit it. It was from the comics, um, and I I thought I thought that their interactions were great. I I every scene that they're in together, which was the majority of the movie, was amazing because the movie was amazing. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. It's uh, uh, definitely um... I, I appreciate not having some sort of uh, um, crammed in origin story for Judge Dredd. You know, mm-hmm. he's Judge Dredd isn't the most well-known comic character, but I mean, the to get the idea of the character across to someone is pretty easy to do. And I think they did it pretty well in the opening scene. Assuming that someone hadn't, you know, heard of Judge Dredd yeah. before, you just introduce him. You see that, you know, he's chasing these these criminals. And they even in that opening sequence, one of the other really good things that it establishes 
how he does follow the rules. Like he doesn't escalate to deadly force until the the druggies that he's chasing do. Right. Once they're threatening people, he's ready to kill them, mm-hmm. and and it's instantaneous. And that also is very effective at establishing just what the street judges are and what they do. Yeah, I mean it's it, it sets it up right there. He's not above the law. He he is the law. Yep. You know, so hey, this is now what the law states. So I do that, and I mean he's even he's not like you know. Super hardcore to the point of being inhumane, like even to the 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 guy that's loitering at the beginning. He's like, "Hey, you're loitering. You know what's your call, rookie?" And so he turns to him. He's like, "Be gone by the time we come out." You know, he's he's the guy who's like, "All right, let me let her see what she'll do." But I'm perfectly okay letting this guy walk because we got murders in there that I'm trying to solve. And I don't remember the exact line from the film, but it's like they can only answer some infinitesimally small number of calls in any yeah. given day. And this day was even worse because they only really answered the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that, that's that's definitely very true. Another thing I wanted to say about the, the Judge Anderson character was that uh, I, I thought they did a pretty good job of, in addition to uh, uh, just giving her as the audience perspective character, um, not neither... I'm sorry, that's a good way to put this. They didn't exactly... Um, trumpet up that she was a female. I mean, she was a strong female character, um, but they didn't do anything uh, diminishing or demeaning uh, for the sake of, you know, any sort of titillation or anything like that. Um, anything that had the the freaking sexual stuff in it was actually pretty freaking gross. And yeah, it was, it was, like it was a little, yeah. Psychic flashes. Yeah, um, it was creepifying to a, yeah. which is, which was good. I don't want to say, I, I have used creepifying in a bad way when I've been describing things in movies. Uh, and this, it was actually very good creepifying. Cause it, well, really, that's what it was supposed to be too. It, it got, it got you exactly in the mindset that the, uh, the director wanted you to be in. Uh, this movie brilliantly directed by the way, um, absolutely love it. Directed by Pete Travis. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I can remember him directing. Like, uh, I am entirely unaware. I am looking at his IMDb, and I have not seen a single one of these outside of Dread. I'm, I'm, honestly, it's Endgame. I don't know what that is. Um, it sounds familiar, but I couldn't place it. Vantage Point. Nope. Falcone. Nope. Uh, the Gobi. Yeah. This is the only thing I've ever seen that he's done, and I thought, all right, so, I mean, it's a winner, obviously, because... Hmm. I've been praising this movie ever since I started talking about it, and not just because it's Judge Dredd. I legitimately like this movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, one other thing with Anderson, that one exchange that I thought was was uh, very nice to be able to point out. Uh, she had, you know, she went the whole movie without a helmet on, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of times coming from a comic book source and, and various other superhero stuff, you're gonna, you're often going to have stuff like that. That's you know. Um, taking a, a character and sexualizing them inappropriately. Yeah. And, you know, leaving the helmet off would be like, okay, now you can see her face and you can make it pretty or whatever, despite the fact that this is a really god-awful mm-hmm. environment. But, you know, they actually had an in-character appropriate explanation where uh, it, she said the helmet inter- interferes with her telepathic abilities. And not only that, Judge Dredd replies with, I think a bullet in the head would uh, <laughs> would interfere with them more. And in terms of just the, the visual storytelling, this serves another purpose where, you know, if there are more judges that come in later. You can pretty much always tell Judge Dredd because, you know, Carl Urban doesn't have the same jawline that Stallone does, but you can still recognize his scowl yeah. no matter what. Her, on the other hand, probably doesn't have the same, like, recognizable lower face 
So it makes it much easier to tell who she is uh, just at a glance. Other than because uh, if she had the helmet on, if the cameras to their back, you'd have you'd have to think for a bit to see which was which. I mean, they're they're different sizes, of course, but it just makes things really quick and easy to understand. So you can have really frantic, frenetic scenes and have a much better idea of the placing of everything. Yeah. The more distinct you can make a character visually, the better it is. And so when you have a uniform like the street judges, uh, they can kind of blend together and it makes things more difficult to see. Yeah, and in the comic books, actually, Judge Anderson, uh, I can't think of very many times, even in the comics, I've seen her with the helmet on. Now, granted, I'm not an expert on the comics. I'll admit that. I have, I have got into them. Uh, relatively recently, and I have not read a whole lot of them, and I, I just don't read a lot of comics in general. But uh, yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> anymore maybe anymore. Yeah, it used to back in the day. But um, I yeah, she. I mean, they just Judge Anderson usually never wears the helmet, so at least they gave an explanation to it. Um, I actually don't recall if she says that in the comic books at all, or if she just doesn't wear her helmet in the comic books. But I at least appreciate is. If we're in a post-apocalyptic world and she's a cop, she wasn't glammed up. Yeah, I mean, she definitely she definitely looked like all right. I'm I'm a cop. I'm working in. Man, they made her hair look so greasy, hmm. uh, which served its purpose fine. I mean, you're trying to make her look like a. Co- I mean, uh, you have an, an actress like Olivia Thirlby and and Lena Headey as as Mama, and I mean, you you really if you you want to put them in this world and it would just you made them look like they belonged in the world, which I thought was was pretty good. Yeah. So let's talk about Mama, because, uh, man, I when I first heard the story of this movie, I got a little nervous because I, I hear, like, Lena Headey's playing, like, some mob boss. I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm going to buy this or not. All right, my mistake, because I bought it. She was scary in this movie, just scary. Especially when she was interacting with that uh, uh, hacker guy at the security oh, station. The blonde-haired guy, yeah. I don't remember the guy's name, and I'm not going to look I'm it up. I'm not sure if he had one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she... Uh, those oh, those were some creepy scenes. Oh, with the knife and the belly button. Yeah. The, getting his eyes replaced. It's just oh, this, yeah. this guy has been through the ringer. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, she plays the villain. I think... Well, the only thing that she did was kind of over the top, and this was the script's fault and not Lena Headey's, is that when she takes that Gatling gun and just completely eliminates that whole one level. Yeah, I was going to mention that. In in a very slow pan from left (laughs) to right in such a way that somebody who suddenly noticed the gun on the left side of the screen could then outrun it and then get out of the way of the bullets. Yeah. Yeah. but other than that, I thought you know everything that she did was was kind of was was cool and yeah. not overly villainy, um, but pretty sick and evil. Yeah, she did, she never came across one of the like uh, mustache twirling, snidely yeah. whiplash, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, a overly cartoonish villain. Yeah, she wasn't a Captain Planet villain. <laughs> no, yeah. um, but she did she did exude uh, excessive amounts of malice mm-hmm. and just unnerving presence all the time yeah i it it was she didn't seem like she was out of control the entire movie even up to and including her nosedive off the top of the the mega structure uh oh yeah hell if you look at the uh the the shot mm -hmm. right before she lands uh, she i mean it might have been the drugs in her system but it really seemed like she didn't care yeah i mean i you got to imagine in her line of work she assumes that this day's coming you know, one would hope she uh, she said something along those lines, you know, right before Judge Dredd threw her out, out of the window. But 
you know, I I thought she had a, it's a great part in this movie. And like the plot actually kind of worked in terms of the judges are there. Here's what they're doing. Um, one of the things that kind of hurt the Stallone movie again, love the Stallone movie, but it just seemed like they did not really have a plot. So they were really kind of stretching for how do we cram as much stuff into this movie and then get, you know, and, and as much fun as the long walk would be. And I've seen Judge Minty, uh, which is the the YouTube video about the older judge who takes the long walk and is super entertaining. But I I would I think you you can't put too much into one movie in order to get it to work. And so this does a very good job of this is just a day on the job. Yeah, I really uh, got probably a pretty hectic day, but yeah, I, I for for Judge Dredd, I kind of got the idea like he's like ah I hate Tuesdays. You know, at the end <laughs> of this, like uh, just Tuesday, I had to take down you know a mega structure mob, but whatever. The day Judge Dredd graced your mega structure was the most significant day of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Raul Julia. I <laughs> All right. So let's. I can't really think of anyone in the cast who really struck me beyond the three that we've already mentioned. Well, they're the bulk of it. Yeah, I mean, they take up a lot of it. There's there was the hostage. Um. Oh, what was his name? Uh, K. Oh yeah, I, I almost forgot about him. <laughs> I, I was I was actually thinking to myself, was there anyone else in the movie that had more than five lines? Yeah, I think I think the guy's name was Kay. I'm not. Sh- I think they said it once when he was getting hauled out of there, and they they shut the doors. Um, I think Kay did a good job, but I just don't think he got enough to do. And then he kind of went out like a punk for grabbing the lawgiver. Yeah, yeah. He, People he was... always do that, and <laughs> it's you'd have to know, right? Like because judges are around like you, somebody at some point would have had to have done that and figured out and word got around that you can't just take a judge well if gun. everyone who tries winds up dead and there's no witnesses to it happening and you know then yeah yeah then then maybe he, it could work he took a pretty significant roundhouse to the face after that which i hear olivia philby actually trained very hard on thrillby i'm I, I still don't know how to say that she actually trained how to perform a roundhouse to make it look like you know he would actually get taken down by it. I like the whole the whole scene, the whole like between her and Kay, and I'm glad that she got to take Kay out. Uh, about the one part that really, uh, if if I had to say something that I didn't like about this movie, and it's hard because I like it, is um, when Judge Dredd was was backed into the corner by those other judges, and then he just kind of says, "Wait," and the point of the guy's like, "Oh, wait, the great Judge Dredd," and he's going on and on. And I have to think, <laughs> does Judge Dredd know Judge Anderson's coming, or was he really just like? I just need to think for a second. Wait, because it seems like she came out of nowhere to, to save him. Yeah, an establishing shot of, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be from his point of view, but if you had some establishing shot where he could have seen her coming up from behind somewhere, like around the machinery or something, that would have been nice Yeah, for that. I the, you know what I could have even have, have gone with? Because this one I think would have been nice. If he just sees the shadow of somebody coming, Mm. And he just assumes because I know Anderson and because she's capable, that's got to be Anderson. There's no way the other judges would have taken her out. Well, the other thing he could just say, wait on the the hope that it's someone that could help him, whether it's Anderson or one of the tenants who might be willing to turn around and help him. But I mean, in that position, you say, wait, well, what's the worst it could be? Mama, another dirty judge. Well, it's not going to get worse. Yeah. It just it just felt like he got put in this position of helplessness, um, and and there wasn't really a payoff for it. Like I mean, yeah. that's, this is this is a minor gripe in in terms of the movie. It's it's it was very 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 well done. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I would say that those are the two uh, weak spots: is that's that weight line and the the Gatling gun. Yeah, 
the Gatling gun at least made for a good action sequence. Which... Yeah, it was very visually stunning. Yeah, because you because know, you know slow motion shots. I think they had of the the sh- the empty casings hitting the floor yeah. and all that. And and that's actually probably to the movie's compliment that two you know relatively standard minor kind of action movie sequences start sticking out as the weaker parts of the movie. You know, <laughs> yeah, the, the the hero has been wounded and they're they, they're backed into the corner and they're trying to buy some st- time or something and uh, and just a little tweak like i said the establishing shot that would let the audience know that he would have some reason to believe that something would or could happen it would have it, it it wouldn't necessarily be a big difference in the whole of the movie but when um you're seeing things uh because that one spot sticks out that's where it would make the difference right but uh, it did lead to a pretty nice, uh, I'm just going back to the Gatling gun, it led to a, a pretty nice segment where Judge Dredd grabs the guy who's checking, um, I think Caleb was that character, and just chucks him like over the edge right, right in front of Mama, <laughs> and just looking at her, and, and there's that moment where it's like, I bet you wish you didn't just shoot all the rounds just then. <laughs> and, and like, nobody even shoots at him, they're all just like, that didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I made for an, a nice sequence. There was also, there was a, one part in the point where they were they were coming up through the buildings where uh, they get a guy on the ground and like Judge Dredd basically says like all right Anderson what's what's the verdict and uh, she executes the guy and then later on in the movie they run into like you know his wife and his kid and it was and I mean almost like drove it home but then at the same time you're like but you did join Mama's gang you you did kind of have it coming a little bit certainly in terms of street judge justice yeah. I mean, like, this is the world you live in. When there's a judge in the building, and so you grab up arms against the judge... It's, something's yeah. going to happen. Something is going to happen. Like, you, you, can't be, you can't be too sympathetic, but I just thought it kind of... It painted a very real picture, sort of, the world that we live in, where, like, this guy wasn't, you know, he he wasn't Captain Planet's enemy. He didn't want to steal oil to dump it in the river to pollute the oil or pollute the river. Yeah. He, he, he was, was a just, guy in a bad position trying yeah. to do something to help his family... But, of course, the problem is the things that he had available to help his family put him in a position where he got killed by a street judge. And I think one of the beauty, one of the elements of beauty in that whole sequence is it was really quick world building that was done sort of parallel to the narrative. Yeah. So you didn't have to stop and say, like, okay, no, now we're going to do world building or stop. Now we're going to have an exposition dump or something. No, it had to do with something they did. And then they get another thing they did. And those two things tie together by uh, Anderson figuring out that, oh, this was the uh, wife of the guy that I had to execute. And it uh, it gives the whole situation another layer of perspective. Yeah. Uh, anytime you can world build without having to stop and have, you know, somebody just talk to you for a while. You know, there was you can only get away with that so many times. I mean, the Matrix got away with it because they had Lawrence Fishburne do it, because if any other character tried to expound the way he did, everyone would have shut the movie off and walked out and been like, no, I'm done. So. You need either you have to have either Lawrence Fishburne or Morgan Freeman tell you what's going on, and then you'll listen. You'll listen to everything. But I think there's too much exposition, and I'm especially sensitive to this, uh, which I didn't see a lot of in this movie. Uh, nothing that I can even think of to give an example. But I really dislike when characters talk to each other about things they either should already know or in a way that doesn't make sense given what they already know, just for the yeah. audience's sake. Yeah, as you already know, blah blah blah. Exposition dump. Yeah. Bad writing. 
Right. It's it's you, you have to find a better way to put it in. Or, you know, you see this all the time in movies. You get these two characters who have allegedly known each other for many, many, many years. But this one crucial event to the movie, he decides to tell his buddy about as though it's for the first time ever. You're like, you're, you're telling me your dead wife hasn't come up at any point in time in the 20 years you've known each other? The guy was at your wedding, right? Like, he, he probably figured it out. I don't know. It's... So I, I like when you can do a moment like that where the character interaction's real and then they move on and things were good and you, you don't have anything else. You don't have to worry about – you don't have to worry about any any of the other stuff. Um, one thing I want to sort of touch on because we, we, we really glossed over it a little bit when you talked the, the helmet. Uh, I like how they portrayed the judges' uniforms because that I'll, I'll give you. The judges' uniforms in the comic book are – forgive the phrase – comic booky yes they're they're almost like feldian depending on I, I i have a vague awareness of things and i know that it it modifies a bit based on artist and era but uh this is one thing that in the the stallone version they try to be a bit truer to the comic book but those mass i i have a sensitivity to massive freaking pauldrons yes because they're stupid um right because you can't lift your arm <laughs> Or see to your side. Yeah, like the the giant eagle, and so I kind of I like how they uh, I like how they made the uniforms. They look like a police style uniform. Yeah, maybe like a SWAT team. Yeah, member. Yeah, I yeah, I mean like they even they're wearing like a vest instead of you know just a skin tight jacket. Like it looks like they're wearing armor. Like the the shoulder pads have the symbols on them. Yeah. Uh, Stallone's costume also had, and I don't know how long it's been since you've seen it. The the awkward armored codpiece. Yeah, yeah, it did, like, didn't it? What was that all about? And it, it didn't. I I don't think it was even on screen more than a couple of times. I think it yeah. might have only been in the opening sequence. It might have been. It's it's been a while, but like you know, like no armor on the chest, giant shoulder armors, and then the codpiece. Like I got to protect my, my got to protect my rotary cuff and the jewels. And outside of that. <laughs> You just let them bullets fly. I don't. It's. I liked. I liked the costumes of this movie. I thought what they. In the given, you you've seen my avatar. Like I do like classic Judge Dread costume. I do. Yeah. But at the same time, the Dread costumes were just great. Just well, phenomenal. It, one thing that contributes to that is that in comic books, while while I do still have uh, sensitivity to the massive pauldrons, you do get away with some more stylized. Uh, right. Uh, costume elements or even world elements yeah and, and but, you can do that in the comic books but stallone cannot no no <laughs> when you have to put it in the film it has to make sense in a physical space right and and, and that's lighting where, and whatnot yeah, that's where stallone kind of took the hit and and i loved i love the with these i mean ah, oh, i just can't say enough good things about the costumes in this movie i even like the helmet and i know i think you prefer the stallone helmet uh, i i think actually i would say judge minty helmet was probably my favorite Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I don't remember the Stallone helmet too clearly at the moment, but, uh, I, I did think the, um, uh, the spacing, uh, particularly like the width and how far down on the neck it came for the, uh, for dread was a little weird. It, it looked, yeah, it, this is an exaggeration, but they looked a little bit like the helmets from Spaceballs. A little bit. Now it. Uh, my understanding, again, it's been a while since I've read the comic, but like the uh, the weird spacing as far as going down the neck was in dread was closer to how the comic book characters portrayed 
than yeah. in, in Stallone's movie. They I think they they made it the, the helmet's a little smaller and sleeker, and I'm I'm assuming it's for the sake of so that you know you can still see it's Stallone and see most of his and allow movement. But um yeah yeah I mean like, you could see what you're saying in terms of like it looks pretty thick like a like a bike helmet of sorts. Yeah. Whereas Stallone's helmet was didn't add a whole lot of of width to his to his head size. It still basically made him look like he had a human sized head. Yeah. But it's, again, it, it, in it, terms it, of nitpicking, <laughs> like that's that's pretty low. And I'm sitting there like the helmet wasn't streamlined enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. It is in no way a major detracting element. It's 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 one of those things where you're like, huh? Wh- I. Uh, it, the the Joker once laughed a little bit too much, like Caesar Romero. It's, yeah. it's a tremendous performance. You know, if 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 you're complaining about such small small things, that means it was a massive success. Yeah, because that I mean, basically, you can infer from that that everything else must have been all right because yeah, uh, because that's what we're talking about. Um, also, as long as we're on that topic, real quickly, uh, I like the Caesar Romero Joker laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought it, yeah, uh, yeah sidebar here yeah uh, the I thought that when the Joker was hanging upside down at the end and you hear him hooting like Caesar Romero it felt out of place I uh, that's pretty much all it was for me yep I actually it, it, it didn't seem to fit it. any of the other jo- Caesar uh, Romero other laughing I loved I I loved that he was laughing like Caesar Romero um I like when Caesar Romero laughs like Caesar Romero in fact. I'm also of the opinion now that since Heath Ledger's been out there, no one's ever going to top his performance. From now on, everyone who plays the Joker must be forced to grow a mustache and then put makeup over it. <laughs> oh, God. Does that include voice acting? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was going to say Mark Hamill, but he's not doing it anymore, is he? He retired. Nope. Uh, who's who's doing the Joker voice now? I don't know who's doing it with any regularity now. Mm-hmm. The other voice actor that I've enjoyed the, doing the Joker it, uh, well enough for me to make note of who it was was actually um, oh and now the name is slipping my head which is ridiculous um, Bender um, oh yeah we have to say it now because this is a podcast people are going to be listening and be upset <laughs> how can you forget his name how can you both forget his name John, John DiMaggio the- yes John DiMaggio did um he was in the uh, the Red Hood right. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, you did really good. Um, Troy Baker, who's been doing the voices for Batman in, um, in, he think he did it in Arkham Origins and he did it in the Assault on Arkham uh, movie. He's actually, especially in the Assault on Arkham animated movie, he's got it pretty down to doing a pretty good Mark Hamill. Like, not yeah, quite as good as Mark Hamill, but quite frankly, if Mark Hamill is truly done and this is what we've got from now on, I think we're going to be all right. Yeah, I, I remember hearing some some Joker from something else. And I was like, I thought Mark Hamill was done. Ah, someone must be doing a really good impression of him. Yeah, and if, I mean, like I said, it's good enough that if he just does it from now on, I, I think we're going to be okay. I think I'm more I'm more afraid of when Kevin Conroy decides he's done. Then I hope we get Jeremy Sisto. Oh, he was also from the uh, the uh, the uh, Under the Hood, right? Uh, he was no, he was in New Frontier. Oh, New Frontier. That's right. Uh, you know, the thing is, is, as long as we're past the point of doing the Dirty Harry voice for Batman, mm. and you just understand that what you need is you need a guy who's able to lower his voice to the right range to play Batman, then I'm okay with it. Because I've been conditioned now, and like, and, uh, listen, I like the Bale, Chris, the, the Bale, the Christian Bale voice, mm. I, but 
I don't I, I, I can't deal with that for the rest of my life. It's good for yeah, that trilogy. That's, that's true. Yeah, it's that, good yeah. for that trilogy and then let it be done and like let the next guy not I don't want Ben Affleck to try to growl through the next Batman movie. Yeah, especially because uh Christian Bale, his voice had a tendency to get a little nasal when he was doing that. Yeah. Might have been a byproduct of his mask, but some very dramatic lines got a bit undercut by the fact that it kind of sounded like he was holding he was pinching his nose while speaking yeah i mean and uh, yeah i mean that's that's how it goes anyway but we digress back to dread somebody who can get away with the dirty hairy voice oh yes um because that's how i kind of imagine judge dread would talk um Mm -hmm. i could see either that i could also maybe see like the deep the deep gravelly voice not stallone's voice obviously unless you're yelling (laughs) i am the law then yes absolutely (laughs) stallone's voice but yeah, except when he's not yelling, "I am the law." Stallone does not play Judge Dredd very well. No. But uh, when he's yelling, "I am the law," he does a phenomenal job playing Judge. <laughs> That's all I got to say. At, at least by the definitions that we laid out earlier of the meaning of the line, which which is uh, absolute fact and cannot be argued in any court. We are correct on how the line should be said. You know, the, I, there's so many action sequences. I'm, I'm actually trying to think now, because usually I pick out a couple of action action set points to talk about. And we've talked about the Gatling gun, but, like, there's there's so many just good... Like, it's not like you have the set piece, and then you stop for a while. Mm. There's so many good ports. Like, yeah. they're always constantly going up. Stuff is constantly happening. Yeah, but that's If I true. had to call out one, if I had to call out one that we need to talk about, is there's the one where they bust into the... Uh, they bust into the apartment. Everyone's taking this drug that's slowing things down. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, and so you see the, the slow-mo bullets, like, flying through guys. Uh, it, Piercing their cheek. Yeah, it's something Seeing that the... we've seen done a lot of times, but it felt like this movie actually made it a bit different in how they did it. Yeah, because of the establishing the drug, the slow-mo, it makes everything all glittery and sparkly yeah. and move in slow-mo. And so everything, the whole sequence played out in slow motion, but at the same rate. Right. So it wasn't any of the like speed up, slow down stuff, which is nice for its own uses, uh, when at least when used judiciously. Uh, but this whole thing, uh, it even the sparkling, the sparkling almost had like a clean sheer over the gritty reality that they were all in. Yeah. Oh, it was. I I loved it, when the sparkling was on there and the bullets. I mean, it was. It it really it it was. I'm 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 going to try to like not sound like a pretentious film critic when I say this, but by presenting those two conflicting images, it kind of created something that was aesthetically pleasing to watch over what would have ostensibly otherwise been just a standard enter the room and shoot scene. Yes, well, I will sound like pretentious film critic, <laughs> I, I, I suppose, and say yes, it was a, a a a very effective way to make the absolutely horrible, ugly, just brutal violence look beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it did. It looked it looked gorgeous. It was a gorgeous scene. I can't believe and, I almost forgot to mention that scene. <laughs> and that might have that that might have actually been the goriest sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. I but mean, it didn't they, feel they, that way because it was so glittery. Oh, and yeah, it had like the wasn't there like a, a calm, peaceful tone that was over? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I, they, yeah. I think they had some pretty uh, mellow music playing yeah. during that, and that that just you know. Uh, what's more, when you when you see something happening that's very fast, but you see it in slow motion, that gives it its own sense of beauty. And they even even on that level, they made something ugly beautiful because they had. I, I want to say the guy next to the door was kind of chunky, oh, not like yeah. obese, but the shock wave 
of the explosion that they used to bust yeah. through the door started rippling across his belly fat. Mm-hmm. And it's mesmerizing. Yeah. Also, very important to point out with the scene, they only killed the people that were shooting back. Yep. That's uh, and, and that, in turn, establishes how strictly street judges adhere to their own rules. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uh, did just Anderson shoot anybody in that scene uh, during the slow motion bit, or was it all dread? I think Anderson shot at people, but I can't remember if she connected with shots in that scene. Mm. I don't. I want to say no because it was a big deal when she had to execute that other guy. Yeah, because that was kind of like her first, you know, her first deal. But um, I can't right off the top of my head remember if she actually like made contact and, and was blasting people away, or if that was just dread doing his thing. Another thing that's worth pointing out, not only did they, and and I'm just going to say that I think it was only Dredd that shot or killed people in that sequence, uh, which in turn highlights how amazing Dredd is at making snap second, like split second decisions correctly. Right. But, uh, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. That's, that's fine. One thing we have to touch on before we try to get into favorite parts, we need to talk about this, this final confrontation with Mama and Dread, which, sorry, well, would, sorry for Judge Anderson. Without we talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for Judge Anderson. She gets, I, she got shot at that point and then she was, she was taken out of the equation, which I guess, you know what? She had her moment when she saved Dread, but at this point, like, I think everyone kind of just wanted to see Dread and Mama face off. So let's, you know, let's just talk about in general how bad a design a dead man switch is. <laughs> I, that is exactly what I was going to say. She obviously doesn't know how to work it. Yeah. When, Either that the, or it was all a bluff. Yeah. When Well, like the whole, you, you, the way a normal dead man switch works for individuals who, who don't know is you basically, you press a button and then whenever the button's released, that's when you send like the, the explosive charge. So it's kind of like the, okay, the button's pressed. You can't shoot me now because it's going to take my thumb off of the charge and it's it's going to it's going to send the signal but in, in th- fact i think this was based on originally on um like a old locomotive designs where you have to have someone there gripping a thing yeah and if anything goes wrong with them and they let go that applies the brakes on the train so you don't have a runaway train right uh hence dead man switch exactly but the issue and like the thing is i i forgive it in that this is sort of how dead man switches actually work is that it only sends the signal once you let go. And in her case, it was, you know, attached to her, her, her wrist. So it would only stop once her heart stopped. So Judge Dredd figured out how to do it by throwing her out the window. And in a very brief moment of, uh, we'll call it personal retribution, gives her a dose of slow-mo before he sends her out. Because he's been very objective up until this point with dealing with people. But this one got kind of subjective right there at the end when he gives her the slow-mo, which wasn't necessary, but was fun. And made I, know, I think he might have also been going for a bit of uh, uh, poetic words. irony. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Because at the whole reason they came out was because people had been thrown off the top floor while on slow mo. So he was trying to, he was just sort of giving her back what she'd given out. It was, it was justice, is what it was. <laughs> but so he throws her out. And so she, she, she doesn't, her heart doesn't stop until, which might have been another way to do it is if you give her the slow mo, you ensure that she doesn't have a heart attack or something on the way down. True. Yeah, so there we go. We, we fixed it. <laughs> but he throws her down, and so she gets down, and she's squashed. And the whole idea is by the time she hits the bottom, these things are like a kilometer high, so the signal, she's too far out of range. 
which is how real Dead Man switches do work. I, I will give it that, is that if you can separate the person from the radio signal, it doesn't send the signal until you let go. It's not a constant signal being sent. Um, however, that's a bad design when you're in that particular situation. Yeah. Where, like, if she'd had a real Dead Man switch and not the inject into the wrist one, then when he grabbed her, she could have been like, well, poo, I'm going to take my thumb off the switch. <laughs> but when it's connected to your heart, you're like, well, unless I can find some way to kill myself while he's throwing me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bit when you have it that way, designed the way she had it set up, it needs to be a constant signal that detonates when the signal's interrupted. Yeah. Instead of wait for the signal to explode, which I suppose there's probably some some occurrences where you like, well, you don't want a false positive. Like, you know, let's say your heart happened to change or let's say maybe you do have a heart attack. You don't want to interrupt CPR with a giant explosion. <laughs> <laughs> might be a little counterproductive. Yeah, but... uh Then the follow-up question is, if her gambit paid off, would she have a way to remove the thing? <laughs> yeah, then, then, then what are you going to do? I'm just going to stab myself in the artery with these huge metal spikes for this dead man switch. Yeah. Okay, I actually managed to get Judge Dredd to leave. How do I get this out without blowing myself up? Yeah, so like, well, now, I guess... I mean, technically, couldn't she just walk away? I mean, if that's how the thing was set up, she could just walk down to the first floor and then figure out how to get it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also lucky uh, for Dredd that they didn't have signal boosters in between the floors. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a gamble. Yeah. I mean, hell, nowadays on Wi-Fi, you could have big buildings, you know, multiple different um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, routers, but it's all the same network. Oh, yeah. No, I've 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 had those set up in some places where I've lived. But I guess lucky for us that Mega City One is probably so low tech on some things like I just I just don't think they would have the infrastructure for that at Mega City One. They're like, what Wi-Fi for these people? Whatever. Hey, just <laughs> speaking of their level of technology. When they, f after the Gatling gun sequence, when they fell out the outside, mm -hmm. they landed on what looked like a, a skate ramp, like a, a, a little, yeah. like, you know, maybe 50, 100 floor, whatever. They had a little park on the outside of, on a balcony. Were there skaters out there with them? Uh, yes, there were skateboarders out there with them. Were they stuck out there for hours while the building was locked down? Yes, they were. Oh, that would suck. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they really like skating, but I gotta imagine they were hungry by that point. <laughs> but lucky would... for them, they got a way back inside. It, interestingly enough, you might even say that that's one of the good things about the movie. You talk about them being hungry. You can watch this movie, enjoy it completely, and never really think about the logistics of where they get their food from. Yeah, that's... Because there's no farms. Because near as I can tell, like it's all city, and then outside the city, it's wasteland, so... Yeah, maybe they eat the rats from the sewers like another Stallone movie with uh, uh, Demolition Man. I love that movie, too. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Taco Bell was the last. <laughs> For a long time, I actually had one of the Demolition Man posters that they uh, they gave away at Taco Bell. <laughs> I wonder how much Taco Bell had to pay to be the, the, the final winner. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Anyway, so now is the time on Hero Talk. We talk about what our favorite scene in the movie is. And Nick... What was your favorite scene in Dread? If you had to put it at one scene, I would probably have to go with the uh, the sequence when they were, like we talked about before, with the slow-mo and they're busting into the room and taking people yeah. out. That whole sequence, is it's quite visually stunning. It's narratively significant. It's world-building significant. It's character-building significant. And it's just fun to watch. All Listen, I can't argue with any single point you just made. Uh, what I will have to say, though, is that my favorite part, and 
we we walked into. Oh this. oh oh, and that scene also has a reenactment with Muppets. It does. Online. It does. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, clean it. fun for the kids too. So the kids can enjoy it too. Yeah. So anyway, my favorite part. Uh, everyone knew what my favorite part of this movie. Walking in, it's of course Judge Red on on the announcing circuit, talking to the entire superstructure there. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Another excellent sequence. L- l- I mean, it's that is a part where I. It, it, there's no, what can what else can I say? How do you not love that scene? It was in all the previews, and it still gave me goosebumps when I saw it. Yeah. In the theaters, mind you. Saw it in the theaters, because you know I wasn't going to wait for a Blu-ray in this guy. <laughs> Although, I, I do have the Blu-ray. Unfortunately, and maybe I might cut this in earlier, the movie did not do so well. Uh, it had a budget of $45 million, and I think in the box office it only brought in 41 Now, obviously, Is with that domestic the, or worldwide? I uh, believe that is domestic. So well, that, that's not so bad, really, yeah, because you, world, when it, yeah. if worldwide is is much better, and then you if it has strong DVD sales or Blu-ray sales, yeah, it didn't. I mean, it didn't do great worldwide, though. I think I'm looking right now at like the worldwide numbers, and I think it only earned seven million in the UK in total. Um, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, like the thing is, it made money. Obviously, in DVD sales and everything, this movie made money, but it wasn't so much a success that they're that they're willing to give it a sequel, which I think is a is a crime because I thought it was great. And I know, like, there had been some fan, there was a fan uh, movement to try to get it made by having a buy the DVD day just to show how much people love the movie. Um, to mm. which I bought the DVD. Now I have two, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a shame. But anyway, that's. That's enough of this. Now it's time for scoring the movie. Nick, for Dread, what do you give this movie? Well, this is a movie that I would say is a very fun movie and has a lot of uh, good elements too. Like if you, I, I like to make a distinction between good movies, which I think have deeper meaning, and fun movies, which are just a lot of fun to watch. And for the most part, I think this succeeds on both. So I would give this... Let's say four and a half bullets through exploded cheeks with a bunch of glitter on top of it. Okay, so I I agree with everything you just said. Out like, of five, like that movie. is. Yeah, out of five. We got it. Out of five, clearly wasn't out of ten. You love this movie. Well, it could have been six. I suppose it's it's open to interpretation here on Hero Talk. It could have um, been four because I really really liked it. I do, and listen, I love this movie. Um, I the things that I have against it are so nitpicky. So I am going to give this movie five hot shots. No, I said hot shots out of five. Right into the mouth. Right into the mouth, which is, I I imagine, not a pleasant way to go, but that's why you don't threaten a judge. All right, so, Nick, hey, thanks for coming on Hero Talk. Thanks for having me. All right, on behalf of my panel, which in this case was just me and Nick, want to thank everyone for joining us. If you have a movie you want us to discuss, or if you want to join the panel, you can email herotalk at enthusiasts.com. As always, for more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, and reviews, visit Enthusiacs.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Enthusiacs and support us on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Enthusiacs. And as always, we will see you right back here for the next Hero Talk. I was very it, glad, very glad that <laughs> Keith Urban did it. Yeah, yeah, and and that was uh, Carl Urban. I'm sorry. Let me read. <laughs>